Jason Roberts is a founder, web developer, and podcaster living in Pasadena, California. He and his wife, Sandy, have three children. Colby, who's eight. Izzy, who's six. Arlie, who's five. Jason has founded six companies since graduating college and is the co-host of the popular Tech Zinc podcast. For more about Jason and his work, check out codusoperandi.com. In this interview, Jason talks with me about raising kids outside the box. He talks about how he has learned to adjust his parenting style to what his kids really need. He also talks about the places where parenting and entrepreneurship have overlapped for him. This includes his decision to begin teaching computer coding to a group of eight and nine-year-olds. Jason also reflects on the challenges of parenting a child who is perhaps equally as out of the box as he is. Hope you enjoy this interview. Thanks for listening to Parenting Reimagined. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Would you begin by introducing yourself and saying a bit about your family. My name is Jason Roberts. My wife and I have three kids who require quite a bit of work, more than uh, more than I anticipated for sure. <laughs> we forgot to read the fine print that said stop after two, <laughs> unless you want your life to complete chaos. I'm an entrepreneur and I work from home uh, as a software consultant as well. I think we have a kind of interesting life. Um, because of that. So hopefully I have a few things to say that might be of interest to your uh, listeners. How long have you and Sandy been married, roughly? 13, a little over 13 years. Okay. So yeah, I think we were married in 99, I want to say. Yeah. August 99. Yeah, that's right. I think I got that right. Good, good math. (laughs) (laughs) What have you most enjoyed about being a father? I enjoy being around my kids, unless they're having a temper tantrum, in which case, not so much. But uh, I, I love it when my little girls come and, and just jump into my lap and tell me how much they love me. I love it when my son, Colby, comes and just tries to pull me into the room because he wants to show me something that he's built or something that he wants me to look at. I had a lot of fun yesterday after a baseball practice, after my son's baseball practice, and just throwing the the ball with him. I love, uh, I love taking him to get ice cream on Sundays. I, I read something the other day that had made an interesting distinction between um, having a happy life and a meaningful life. And being that people who are happy tend to, a lot of times it's more self-indulgent. It's about taking, you know, I'm going to do this for myself, I'm going to do that. And we're meaning, having a meaningful life, a lot of times it's not necessarily about that, but you're doing things that just generally make you feel good. It's helping other people or making the world a better place. And a lot of times doing those things at the moment, aren't you're not really at your happiest. I think that is a really helpful distinction for parents, that meaningful life versus happy life. Because I think, you know, everybody 
seems to find at least some challenges in parenting, if not finding it to be a very difficult experience. But people universally seem to find some meaning or satisfaction in it, even if it's not fun every minute or not pleasurable every minute. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not pleasurable when your three-year-old or four-year-old is having a meltdown because they missed their nap. And then those moments kind of uh, suck, <laughs> to put it plainly. And that's why as parents, we're always trying to navigate around those. Like, I, I can feel this is about to happen. Things are about to go off the rails. <laughs> so you're, and because they can be so painful or so embarrassing if it's in public and the kids start acting up in a restaurant or in line somewhere, so you're always trying to make sure that you have everything set so that the chance that those things are going to happen are, 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 are decreased. Even, even when you have to deal with those things and you do as a parent, they are just far outweighed by this general feeling of meaning. And when I go out of town for a few days, I mean, I'm usually feeling depressed about it for the first couple of days coming up to the trip because I was like, I don't want to be away from them. And it, just, it feels empty when they're not around. Yeah. You're a pretty out-of-the-box kind of guy. You're not a, a nine-to-five, work-in-a-cube kind of person. How has your... I don't know, how do you talk about it? Your life flexibility, your <laughs> openness to sort of doing your own thing and doing it in your way. How does that how does that shape you as a father? Some people might look at me as a bit of a contrarian. I usually think in terms of first principles. I say, okay, well, what's really the problem here? Not what does everybody else do? You know, because just we go through life and we're so we're so used to just sort of subscribing to the normal tracks that people follow because they're well-worn paths and we understand them and we don't really have to explain them. It's like, well, you have choice A or you have choice B. But a lot of times I think if you're willing to just attempt to reinvent things, if you need to, you can come up with much better solutions. I mean, it takes maybe a little more creativity. I think it takes oftentimes more um, energy and more determination because more than anything, it requires uh, self-confidence. If you're willing, if you're going to go off trail, so to speak. So, you know, there's people who are, if you're on hiking, the people who go off trail are, you know, they have a lot of confidence in their abilities to navigate and, and um, survive. And I, th- I think that's one thing my wife and I share is we're both very confident in our ability to make things work. Are there ways that you think being an, an out-of-the-box, off-trail kind of person has directly affected the way that you interact with your kids? Let me think about this. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I've done that I think are significantly different. I mean, I, my, my son Colby, is, who's the oldest, he's eight. But, uh, he's very much an engineer. He's been calling himself an engineer since the age of three. <laughs> so he likes all things technical. He likes to build everything. And that's what he does in his free time. In fact, just a, f- a funny thing. It was just like we were going a couple months ago to get our our Christmas photos taken. <laughs> we're getting ready to go. We're trying to get the kids to comb their hair and go. All right, Colby, come on. You know, come on. We you know we get it going. He's like, ah, do I have to go? I have stuff to do. <laughs> like you're eight. <laughs> My schedule's kind of full, Dad. Can we really push this off till January? Yeah, like, what do you have to do? You know, because he has this big Lego construction he's working on. And I remember laughing. Then when we were leaving the photographer's studio, he we're getting in the car, and he's just like, oh, that was a waste of time. 
I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, well, it's like an hour and a half. I could have been working on my project. <laughs> so that's the kind of kid we're dealing with here, right? <laughs> so he's he would tend to come to me. He would come to me and say, Dad, can you, can we build electronic circuits? Because I had I had bought some basic you know breadboarding stuff. We were going to learn resistors and capacitors and stuff. And he would always do that ten minutes before bedtime. And I'd be like, "Dude, your mom is going to kill me, right? Like we can't we can't get started on this right now. Like we need to do this earlier in the day." He would do that with you know I was trying to show him how to program computers a little bit. He would do the same thing, Dad. Let's let's do some programming. And it would always seem to be at times when. Um, either A, I was working or was right before bedtime or something. And I realized that as much as I w- wanted to, to do those things, I wanted to teach him this stuff, it just wasn't, there were not convenient times. Or if he did come to me, I just didn't have a plan of what, we're, what we should do. Because sometimes if you want to teach a kid something, I mean, unless it's really basic, you know, like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to throw a football or something, in which case you don't really have to, like, plan for it. But if you're going to teach them something technical, you kind of have to figure out, if you have a pretty clear idea what it is that you want to teach them. Otherwise, it can be kind of a frustrating experience because you're trying to explain something, you're trying to come up with something, you're fumbling around, and your kid's getting kind of frustrated and bored. And that's even worse than had you not shown them anything because now they just think this thing that you're going to teach them is kind of stupid and boring. And you need supplies and a an outline, and, and you yourself need to understand even how to do it. I decided that I would start like a weekly club, like you know, or I, I would get you know a half dozen kids, and, and and once a week we would get together, and I would teach them how to program computers. And so I talked to I, I you know some of the parents. And, and of the kids that I knew that um, might be a good fit for this. And there were some obvious candidates, some kids in his class. And so I talked, I walked up to their parents and I said, hey, you know, I'm sort of thinking about this thing. Um, do you think you'd be interested? And the parents generally thought that was a really cool idea. You know, I started that off in September. So I've done like 23 sessions, we call them. So that's a very different thing. I've take, it takes a lot of work. And this is the the Catalyst Project, right? Is that what you call it? Uh, Catalyst Academy. About a dozen kids. The idea was just to get kids who do this kind of stuff and really teach them how to program. And then my idea was not just to start, not to end with programming, but to just use that as one thing we'd teach them and then roll into other things like electronics or any other technology or mathematical type of thing. What have been your most fun, most successful projects with Catalyst? Well, most we've been doing sort of just teaching them skills and doing like like what I call programming challenges. So I noticed that if if I if I tell the kids like, hey guys, why don't you write write a program that does this, this, and this? Well, they view that as sort of interesting, but then sort of maybe just a rough suggestion. <laughs> but then when I I wrote it into the program itself where you would, you you know, have a list of challenges and a challenge would have, each challenge would have a point, a number of points assigned to it. And if if they solved the challenge, they would get points. And then there was like a leaderboard. And all of a sudden the kids like flip out with that. You know, kids plus computers plus points is just magic. (laughs) 
And I'm like, you realize I'm the one who made the challenges, right? So it's the same thing as me telling you <laughs> to do something. It doesn't matter to them at all. So we've been doing a lot of that because programming, like learning anything, like learning to play tennis, for instance, it requires a lot of skills before you can really play. What I've just started doing is having them work on their own independent project, and the first one is going to be writing our own text adventure game. Some of your listeners may have done this when they were kids, and it just there'll be a little text on the screen, you are standing in front of Castle. There's a door. What do you do? That's what we're starting to do. It's going to be a it's a challenge. I mean, it's a big. It's not. Tri- it's not a trivial. <laughs> but you're. I mean, you're teaching eight-year-olds how to generate their own program. Yes, and that's a challenge. And they're all very bright. I mean, these are all kids that are sort of in the gifted programs and stuff. So it kind of stacked the deck in my favor. I mean, I have the interest and ability to learn this stuff at a young age. I mean, because this is the kind of stuff that's hard for adults to learn. I mean, this is. Mm-hmm. You know, programming is not easy to learn, and this isn't like, you know, baby programming or something. I didn't really dumb it down. I mean, I'm going a little slower, and we have to kind of loop back and reinforce things more than you might if you were teaching, say, high school kids or college kids, but it's still the same stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely challenging. I mean, it's frustrating because I, I screw up a lot. I Sometimes I jump ahead and try and go too fast, and the kids get frustrated, or, you know, it's just easy to mess up because there's no obvious curriculum. You know, kind of blazing your own trail here. You're making it as you go. Yeah, I'm I'm winging it. And uh, sometimes it works great. And then sometimes the kids are looking at this stuff going, I I have no idea how to challenge. And they're looking and I realize, you know what, I probably should have had about 20 challenges in between there. (laughs) Like that was way too big a jump. And I just didn't think that clearly about it. Mm -hmm. It was in such a rush to have them started on this game project because I knew a couple kids were really excited about getting to the, getting to that phase that I kind of I got a little too ambitious. It's a real challenge. I mean, it's a real challenge. But so to get back to your original to answering your original question, I mean, this would be an example of doing something that's completely out of the box. I mean, it requires way, way, way more work than say just trying to find some after school programming and signing them up for it. Mm-hmm. I thought my kid wants to do this stuff. There's no reason that I, you know, I shouldn't be able to teach him this stuff, and I'm just going to try it. And so it took, you know, of course, like I said, it took confidence because it's like, okay, I'm going around talking to these parents, telling them that we're going to do this thing, and you know, you get there and all of a sudden you have a bunch of kids staring at you, like, what are we going to do? I mean, you better have a plan. <laughs> kids are not very forgiving. I mean, they will become very distracted very quickly. And they're frustrated and they can't they can't do what it is they want to do. Yeah. I mean it's it's such a cool story in a lot of ways though. The sense in which your your son as you've gotten to know him and who he is and what makes him work and your desire to kind of join with him and develop him mm-hmm. and then to kind of bring along a little community of kids that matches your abilities with something that you are uniquely equipped to teach them. It actually reminds me a little bit of a, a saying uh, that, my, my, that my wife has made sort of the centerpiece of, of this year. The saying is, if you, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's an old Afri- African saying. You know, I've wrestled with that because I tend to in some ways be like to fly solo. You know, I get 
I feel like other people will slow me down. And I've in certain parts of my life, I feel that that's been true. If I just got it done alone, I might have just got it done faster with less headache. But in some cases, it makes a lot more sense to try and do things as a group. And this is one case. I mean, I could have tried to, to say, right, I'm just going to work with my son and we're going to just set a certain time on the weekend and maybe once during the week and I'll just go as fast as he is capable of and, and, and we'll just keep it real light. But I, I frankly, I, I'm not sure that we would have lasted more than a month or so. Because I've talked to a lot of other parents who've, who've tried to work with their kid, who've, people who've contacted me because they've listened to my podcast and they've heard, to, heard me talk about this. And they say, you know, I've tried to work with my son or my daughter and, you know, we, got, we made a little bit of progress, but then we kind of lost momentum. By doing it as a group and, like, agreeing that we're all going to meet at a certain time and that we're all going to do this thing, then you're committed. You're locked in. But you're held accountable by the arrangement that you have with your little community of students there. They're showing up, you know, <laughs> showing up. Everybody's showing up and they're ready to roll, you know, and so I better have a plan. And, and so that forces me to do it. And I really don't want to let the kids down. I mean, it really, really bums me out when I feel like a session didn't go well. I mean, I always respected teachers, but now I really respect what teachers have to do. Yes. What have you found to be challenging about parenting? Anything that's really been a, a lot harder than you expected? Colby, in particular, is has what in sports they would call low coachability. <laughs> he already knows how to play every sport perfectly, which is amazing at the level eight, right? <laughs> Said something incorrectly, and I'll say, hey, Colby, like, he'll watch his basketball game, and I'll say, Colby, come here, look, I need to show you how to do a layup. And so I show him once, and then he tries to, do, tries to imitate what I'm doing, and it's not correct. And I'll say, Colby, no, wait, you've got to go off one leg. And he doesn't listen. He's like, I'm doing it right, you know, and you're just like, ah, Colby, just <laughs> listen to me. And I'll see him doing, you know, or bouncing the ball, trying to dribble two hands at the same time as opposed to one. I'm like, just, Colby, you know. Look, I'm like, kid, I've played, I played basketball for like 20, 30 years. Like, I, I know how to play, okay? Like, I'm, trying, I'm on your team. I'm trying to help you here. It doesn't matter. And it's just frustrating because you kind of picture like, oh, I'm going to go there. My, my son or my daughter is going to be so eager to learn. And I'm going to teach them this stuff. And they're just say, okay, dad, I'll, I'll catch the football that way. I'll hit the tennis ball that way or whatever. And instead, they won't listen to you. And, and you're just, just about to pull your hair out. Like, ah, like, you know, just. So you're a contrarian, out-of-the-box guy who married a very independent, strong-willed woman, and you have kids that don't want to listen to you? Shocking, I know. How did that happen? I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know. I'm hoping my daughters be a little easier on that <laughs> that area, but uh, my son is not, and it's it's frustrating. And 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 you know, there are times where you know we'll go out and I'm going to try and teach him something, and I just come back and go, you know, I, that was not fun. And in fact, not only am I frustrated, but I frustrated him. Like our our relationship is temporarily strained, you know, by the by the fun basketball time. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It's 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 not like you know it's not like kids don't get over that in like fifteen minutes, but it it's been times where it kind of ruined my evening. Like you know we come back from the park and I'm just kind of frustrated because of our interaction didn't go well. I've been learning how to adapt. You know I need to adapt. He's trying to learn how these skills to play sports or whatever they are, and I need to learn how to help him rather than correcting him after every single attempt and say no do this do this. I just let him do ten and go okay. 
why don't you try this? Like, I got to dial it back. So I'm trying to adapt. It's so interesting to to have these conversations with parents because that's, I think, what you're describing is sort of this common predicament that we find ourselves in in the sense that we have a way of parenting. We have a way of interacting with children that, you know, that's about who we are as adults. But our children don't always jive with that. Like they need this different way of interacting. And it's it's sort of sometimes this sort of mismatch or misfit between parenting philosophy or a way of parenting and what a kid needs or what a kid is responding to. And that's, that's a challenge. You have to break, break it down to first principles because a lot of times we say, well, this is, this is how you teach kids or this is how you explain things. I mean, you just have this in your mind, like this is kind of how it's done. And then when you try it and it's just not working for your kid, you have to take a step back and go, okay, why is this not working? Am I executing it the wrong way or is it just this process or this methodology of doing this just wrong? Not, are they not going to work with my kid? Because just because so, something succeeds 90% of the time or with 95% of the kids, your kid may be one of the 5%. It's just not going to work. I'm not an expert on learning. Pretty sure that kids have different ways of learning things. And, and they have their own personalities. They have different moods. They have different strengths. And you could try the most obvious thing first. And then, but if it doesn't work, you eventually go, okay, I guess I'm going to try something a little different. For me, so like for instance, I teach Col- Colby um, how to swing a bat a little better. He's baseball season starting. And I'm constantly telling Colby, get your hands up, get your back leg, you know, th- these sorts of things. The other day I took him to the batting cages and they have instructors there. We didn't get a formal lesson, but we were trying to pick out a new bat for him because he'd outgrown his bat from the previous season. And the, the guy working there, and I guess you might call the pro shop, um, who also was an instructor, said, hey, why don't you guys come back here and we'll have him swing a, a few balls. And in five minutes, I mean, the guy had him doing the things that I couldn't get him to do. And I'm like, okay, that's okay, fine. I'm going to outsource these instructors because it'll be, most, it'll be less painful for everybody. I mean, I'll be right there with him, but I'll let the instructor tell him how to hold his hands and how to bend his knees or whatever than me telling him over and over again. I wish. I, I wish that I could do it all myself. But I've just noticed, I've just thought maybe it would be a little less stressful and more efficient if I just outsource some of that. So they have a lot of tricks and tools and techniques for teaching people and especially kids. Whereas someone who just because you know how to do something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be very good at explaining how to do it. So something that you're learning is to to back off and let other people do it, even if it's something you know how to do yourself. Exactly. Uh, that's something I, I've, I, 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 I wish I learned it even a little earlier, but I think I'm going to do it now. And it, it's a little more expensive. You're like, you know, the private lessons with, you know, baseball or tennis coaches is, is not cheap, but compared to uh, the alternative, which is a, a lot of many hours of frustration and, and strained afternoons with may with with maybe very little progress yeah you know it's like it's not that expensive and also i think as parents we want to see our kids succeed if if i don't help him you know i'm i'm sort of choosing that he's not going to play maybe in when he's 13 or 14 because he just won't make the team Hmm. right and as a parent you're you're responsible to help at least facilitate those opportunities i mean ultimately colby's success is up to him, sort of, but 
but you create so many of those opportunities and resources for him to be successful. That's right. I, there's a lot of debate right now on the whole tiger mom versus French parenting. Like how, you know, how aggressive are you going to be about pushing your kids to participate in certain activities and practice and compete versus just being completely laissez-faire and be like, ah, you know, whatever. And I probably fall somewhere in the middle. I probably like to think of myself more as a French parent, but probably act a little more like a tiger. You're a French tiger. <laughs> so I think I have elements of both. Yeah. You know, and I've heard stories of that where, you know, parents had ruined activities because they took something that a kid liked and enjoyed and just kind of made it work and expectation. Yeah. And But I've also seen the other side. I've seen where uh, kids who were really good at stuff, their parents just were a little too laid back and just didn't really, really give them support and stuff they needed because it was just going to be a little too much work. They didn't cultivate it as much as maybe they could have. You know, I mean, my mom was like that. My mom was a little more of a hippie, had a little more of a hippie mentality. And I was a good soccer player. I was, you know, kind of the, the travel teams were trying to recruit. And when I was younger and my mom was like, there's no way we're spending all day Saturday driving around Georgia to mm. playing a soccer game. I remember her saying that a couple of times. I'm pretty sure that impacted what I did and didn't do. I don't really blame her. I, I've had a great life, so I can't say, well, you know, I should have gone this different path. But I know those things have an impact. Yeah. Hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit, if I could. So this is kind of a standard question for this podcast. How has or has being a father shaped your view of God or spirituality? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I'm not very religious, I don't think about those things probably in a very structured way. In fact, it's kind of done the opposite in the sense that I'm so busy with the kids that I don't spend all the time thinking about it or thinking about anything. (laughs) Like, what does it all mean? Or what's this? It's like, I'm just trying to get through the day and pay the bills and get the kids to finish their dinner and, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas I think when I was younger, I probably spent more time thinking about the bigger questions. But what I would say is, Having kids has made me have a much deeper feeling or sense of what life is, of being alive and appreciating life and understanding how valuable and important it is. I mean, it's just, I think for a lot of people, religion is sort of, it's very closely tied to love. I don't think anything affects you more in that way than having kids. I don't think anything makes you appreciate other people and forgive other people and and be able to empathize with other people more than having kids. Sort of deepens your capacity for love. Yes. This is probably very closely tied to empathy. Loving somebody is having empathy for them. I think that's I think very close. And and so I I think that's changed me. Yeah, parenting kind of moves us from those those existential questions of our 20s, you know, those, what does it all mean? The demands of keeping these young lives together and healthy and entertained. And, and that's sort of all that there may be. It's just getting it done, you know? It's kind of like, it's like there's a train moving down and you're like laying the tracks as a train's coming and you're just putting them down as fast as you can before that train comes. You, know, you don't have a lot of like, what does it all mean? Like, I don't know. I'm just putting the tracks down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that train is going to go off the rails and I don't want that trailer off the rails. There's this concept of flow, which I think has become a little more mainstream. 
And like when you're flowing, you're not worried about the future. You're not thinking or replaying the past. You are in the moment. It's like when time just seems to go by so quickly. Things that tend to cause you to flow are when you are, are, and your abilities are just able to meet your challenge. If if the challenge is is just beyond you, then you're 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 mired in frustration. You're like I this is I can't do this, and you're and it's just painful. And if it's too easy for you, it's just tedium. But if it's right there, it's flow. And a lot is a lot of like that. You know, it's like you you're flowing and you are in the moment. I mean, there are times when it is frustrating, and you're unhappy because. Things are not going well. Kids are not eating their dinner or the kids are fighting or who knows what. They won't finish their homework, whatever, any number of things. You are in the moment as a parent. I mean, you are living life and you're not spending – I don't think you have the time or luxury to worry a whole lot about the future or regret and replay the past. I got stuff to do. There's stuff to do. There are three kids who need stuff done. and But I think that leads to a better life. I mean, I don't think – I think it's easy to get caught up in your head. I think kids kind of force you into that just because yeah. of the contraction of time. Slightly in contrast to, to what you're talking about now, I'm going to ask you to look into the future a little bit. So when your kids are ready to launch their own businesses or travel the world or go to college, whichever uh- they choose, what are the things that you picture them saying about you? When they, you know, when they are meeting new people and saying, yeah, well, my dad was dot, dot, dot. My dad. I guess there's the things that I hope they'll say. I hope they'll say that my dad was always there and he was always willing to help me. And, yeah, that I hope they think that I was a good guy. You know, I want my kids to feel that I was a, a very active and constant presence in their lives. And that I hopefully made their lives better, that I wasn't, I'm hoping that they're going to say that I was just a positive, encouraging, and very active presence in their lives. Sounds good. Sounds like a good goal. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting. 